0: This is Frank Goldwasser, and you are listening to Talking Blues.
1: You were just in California recently.
0: Yeah, I spent uh, a month in California. Yeah. Just, and what was
1: that experience like?
0: Well, you know, it's uh, it was good. I mean, it was good. I was, you know, I was... Good. I was busy. I I did a lot while I was there during those four weeks. Uh, It's when I go back to Cal, I mean, you know, that was my second trip back to California since I've relocated to Paris. And it's kind of a bittersweet experience. It's kind of an unsettling experience because, you know, when I go there, it's, you know, I consider it my home. I've lived there for for 40 years. Um, So when I go back there, you know, uh, I'm I'm glad to be back, you know, but I feel a little bit better, bitter about not living there anymore, at least not on a permanent basis. Uh, it's a little bit uh, disorienting because you know <laughs> I'm you know I'm not really sure where I live, you know. I since I've been back in Paris, uh, uh, I I haven't really been able to f- completely adapt. And I don't really feel like I'm living in Paris. I feel like I'm just kind of passing through. And I'm going back to California, which feels like my home, but I don't really live there anymore. So it's, it's you know, it's unsettling.
1: Yeah, but, but it's interesting because when we last spoke, you talked about your daughter wanting to yes. live, have that Paris experience. And yes. now you have brought her back to Paris. I know it's yes. a little too early to tell, but... It must be kind of interesting to share the city of yours to your daughter.
0: It's it's well, I'm it's uh, I'm 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 thrilled to have her with me. It's not her first time here. She was here when she was nine. Now she's eighteen, so it's not you know it's a completely different experience for her and for me. It's great to have her at the same time. I'm looking at her and she's here in this apartment, and I feel like I'm hallucinating, you know. I have to pinch myself, you know, it's, you know, because both worlds are meeting, you know, uh, here she is. And so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's, again, it's a little bit, takes some adjustment.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, I want to begin by talking about how you got into the blues. Tell me how that happened.
0: Well, it happened in kind of um it was kind of a, a kind of a, a, a let's see what's the best way to describe it, almost like a spiritual experience. You know, I, I uh, when I I was 16 years old when I discovered this music and the culture that that it came out of, but it, it happened in a very uh, mysterious kind of way. Uh, I was not nobody, no one I knew was listening to this music or knew anything about it. Um, I remember, um, walking into a record store in Paris one day on my way home from school. There was this record store that always intrigued me. Kind of, you know, frightened me a little bit. It was, you know, it was one of those, uh, It was a record store that specialized in in, import imported records you know from america and that was a big deal at the time you know so anyway i one day for i felt compelled to walk in and for no explainable reason i asked for a blues record which was very very odd because again i i had never been exposed to that kind of music i basically didn't even know I didn't know what I was at, what it was that I was asking. And I asked for a blues record. And, and I walked out with a record by a guy that I didn't, knew nothing about, never heard of, you know, never heard of. And put it on, when I got home, put it on the record player. And I don't think I even listened to the whole thing. I, it just uh, it didn't grab me, particularly. I put the record away. And uh, some time, some time passed. Um, I couldn't tell you if it was weeks or months. I don't know, some time passed. And um, I had a very very strange and very powerful dream one night. It felt more like a visitation. It didn't feel like a dream exactly because I felt like I was wide awake. I don't know if you've ever had dreams like that that are so vivid. You feel like you're awake and you're having this experience, mm-hmm. and so I, I had this experience, this vision, this w- whatever you want to call it. This um, it felt like a visitation. I, you know, I remember, you know, being in my bed in the middle of the night or very early one morning, and you know, with my eyes wide open, and at the end of my bed there was this old well at the time to me seemed old this old skinny black man sitting at the end of my bed looking at me grinning you know it was a very powerful uh uh, uh vision and uh it, it, it stayed with me for days and one day I felt uh, compelled to uh to get out the, the, the record that I bought previously, you know, whether it was weeks. Yeah, it was probably weeks before it, that I had put away. And I looked at that record and it was, to me, it was clear that the guy that I had seen, that I had seen during this night, this vision, this experience that I had was the guy that was on the record cover uh which it was an it was a hound dog Taylor record that i bought not really knowing what i was getting that's what i ended up with and i start and i played it and then from that time from that moment then i was hooked and i you know i listened to it incessantly and i read the liner notes and i just wanted to get as much information as possible from this guy others like him you know where it came from and on the back of the record, it said, you know, if you want to know more about contemporary blues, you know, subscribe to Living Blues. So I did. And that's how I, I uh, got my education. Started reading Living Blues from front to back, you know, learning about the uh, all the other artists, um, you know, and uh, buying more records. and And that's how it happened. So I wonder,
1: has anything else like that happened to you since then
0: mm, nothing quite comparable no
1: and and when you look back on it, what do you like how do you process that
0: <laughs> i don't know if it, I mean, am i processing it i don't know i mean i'm just it, it was the, it's the it was the closest thing that i've ever had to a religious experience i mean that's how it felt you know just why 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 did it happen the way it did i mean uh You know, um, how do I, I I don't know. And so you decide. Well, I tell you, I mean, one answer to that question is that I really feel like, um, like it was a calling in the truest sense of the word because this thing just, yeah, called me. I mean, I didn't, you know, just, (laughs) (laughs) Shows me. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how to, how to explain it, but uh,
1: But shows you enough that at one point, soon after you picked up the guitar? Is that, I mean, other than just going to learn more about blues yeah. by buying more records, I presume at one point you decided, I want to be well, a yeah. blues guitarist. I, yeah, well, I,
0: I, you know, I had, it was a guitar in my, in my, in my home that nobody played and I messed around with it a little bit, you know, but not very seriously. I gave up on it. I just and, you know, and yeah, once I got really hooked on this music, then I that's what I wanted to do. That's that's just that's basically all I wanted to do. Uh, I you know, up until that point, my my focus had been drawing, you know, And from the moment that I got into involved in in playing this music, my my interest uh, in graphic arts and drawing gradually faded, and uh, that you know playing blues guitar became my my focus, you know, to the exclusion of everything else. I mean, I basically didn't want to do anything else. All All my spare time was devoted to that and
1: did you did you know what that meant like did you want to be hound dog taylor or were there yeah, other players
0: yeah i did i did absolutely more
1: absolutely. so than anybody else well at
0: first i mean he was my my first exposure to this music but then i as i discovered about other artists yes i wanted to be exactly like them i wanted to look like them as much as possible you know try you know wear the same kind of clothes that they did and just, yeah i mean to the extent of you know my uh, uh my capabilities you know
1: okay so how easy was it for this young parisian kid to learn the blues through records and i don't know what other and and reading articles from well, living blues but well, how how did you learn that
0: well at, play fir- that? at first i was it was, I was very isolated because I I, I didn't know anyone certain, certainly not anyone in my age group who shared that interest uh, so it was I was very isolated it was a very isolated experience it was just me and my records you know in my room you know um, and as I started to go out to hear concerts uh and there weren't very many blues concerts in Paris. You know, this is the mid-70s. A couple of times a year, the Chicago Blues Festival came through, you know, another, you know, a couple of other things. But blues concerts were few and far between at the time. But there were there were a few things to go to. So my father took me to those concerts. Took me to see Muddy Waters. Uh, he took me to see... Um, you know, I mean, I saw a lot of it took me to see, uh, you know, Mighty Joe Young, Luther Allison, you know, all the guys that came through Paris. BB King, Albert King, you know, and I started meeting people at those shows who were older than me because most of the people that I connected with who sh- who had who shared the, that interest in, in in this music were were not musicians. They were they were fans. They were record collectors. You know. And I hooked up with a group of people who uh, were the uh, who ran a blues magazine, who was possibly the first French language blues magazine. It, was called, it still exists. It's called Soulbag. Bag. And uh, so I connected with these people, and I started collaborating. You know, writing record reviews, concert reviews. You know. Eventually, when I made my first trip to the United States, I, I, you know, I wrote some stories, met some, some artists, wrote about them, you, know, wrote about my experience visiting the clubs.
1: Well, tell me about that. Tell me about becoming a blues journalist, if that's the right word.: Well, it is the right word, yeah. You know? so, and tell me about what, what that was like for you and, and
0: what it did for you what, as what it did for me is that it, it allowed me to connect with those American artists who were touring Europe came to Paris and to have an entry to have a way a reason you know I would be like the magazine would send me to the hotel rooms to you know because I was you know I, I spoke better English than just about anybody else who was involved. Well, where, where does that come from is it just from French
1: schooling or like no how- no
0: it's not from French schooling it's um uh, Just, well, I mean, partly, partly, but not exclusively, partly, but just, you know, just becoming just from being obsessed with American culture from a very young age. So listening to movies, watching, you know, movies, you know, in in the original, you know, English language as opposed to, you know, dubbed and, uh, you know, just listening to records and, and my father's influence also when I was little um, uh, because, uh, he had had an experience, you know, uh, living in the United States when he was a teenager. Right after World War II, my, his family, my grandparents, um, made an attempt, an aborted attempt to move to the United States. And so they were, they stayed, they were in New York City for a couple of years in the late forties. So my father as a young teenager had that experience. And, uh, you know, he spoke English fluently and he kind of transferred his, what he brought back with him from America, this fascination that he had with American culture himself. He he sort of transferred it onto me as I was growing up, you know, teaching me English at a young age and reading American comic books to me when I was little and turning me on to American movies and American culture and So I was my 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 entire childhood was bathed in in, 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 you know, American culture. If we go to go back to the time when you saw Muddy
1: Waters or, the great blues artists of that yeah era, right, and your first exposure to live blues as opposed to listening to a record, Mm -hmm. tell me about that experience and what it, how different was for you and what it did for you.
0: Uh, When I went out and saw those artists it's I I can't even explain seeing those artists in the flesh after I'd been listening to them on record was just completely blew my mind I mean it would be like seeing. I don't want to I don't want to sound offensive to anyone but just just like seeing Jesus Christ on stage, you know. I mean, it was it was huge. I, words can't even. I can't even put it into words. I remember the first time that I saw muddy waters. First time I saw mighty Joe Young, Johnny Little John, all those guys from Chicago, and I saw them. I mean, I, I was just absolutely. I mean, there's no word to explain how I felt. I was, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was it was. More, you know,
1: for for that young kid who said, I wanna be I wanna be a blues player mm. um and listening to records and having some sort of an idea as to what that blues is to now witnessing one of the greatest Muddy Waters or BB King, did that change your perspective and what you wanted to do? I mean, did it encourage you to oh, follow yeah. it? Oh absolutely. Or just-
0: absolutely, of course.
1: And you thought it was attainable.
0: Yes. Yes, I thought it was attainable, absolutely. You know, I mean it was kind of crazy, but yes, you know. And I knew early on, I mean, when I started feeling that I was pretty good at this, you know, I knew that the only way that I was you know, because here I am seventeen years old, whatever, you know, playing guitar in my room along with records and and I felt that I was getting pretty good, you know, at emulating these people. But I asked myself, you know, but am I really good? Am I doing the right thing? What would they think? What would the people think in America? What if I was in front of an American audience in a blues club playing with American blues musicians? Would they think that I'm pretty good or am I just fooling myself? And I knew there and then that the only way that I was going to ever find out was just going over there just immersing myself in that culture playing with those people playing in front of American blues audiences in the blues clubs in the black clubs preferably and then I would know because I knew that staying in France I would never know because you know that's this is American music this is black American music you know but
1: you you did play with some American artists who came to France well does that I, happen after you went
0: to the States or be, before be, be, before um, I uh, because of this connection that I because you know I would go and interview these guys for the magazine you know and I'd be there you know in their hotel room hanging out with them interviewing them and I would say well you know I'd play guitar you know i play guitar so they would say yeah come to the show and sit in so i started sitting in with those guys you know i sat in with a lot of guys who came came through uh, jimmy dawkins you know uh, george harmonica smith you know i mean a lot of the luther i never did sit in with luther allison but um you know uh will folson philip walker uh, you know you know
1: these are heavyweights in the blues.
0: Oh, the heaviest. Yes, of course. Of course. Until I eventually met Sonny Rhodes. who was my, you know, my hero. He came to Paris in 1980. And, uh, you know, I, um, I, I, I literally, uh, attached myself to him. <laughs> and I ended up playing a gig with him. Uh, my first gig ever was with Sonny Rhodes, uh, he stayed after you know he came through with the uh, with the package of you know blues artists from the Bay Area and he decided that he wanted to stay in Paris for a while. So when it, when all the other guys went back to, to, to California, he stayed around a little bit you know and uh, uh, and uh, I got to play a couple of gigs with him you know uh, and that was my first experience playing you know playing it getting paid for for doing this and that's you know i knew that's what i wanted to do there was nothing else i wanted to do so you
1: know and then when you did play with him did you think i think i'm
0: good enough yes i felt like it was good enough yes you know i felt like it was good enough
1: and then he suggested that if you ever came to the states
0: to look him up well i asked i mean i asked him one day i asked him i said you know sonny you, you know if i came to States, if I came to, you know, to, would you think that they would let me play? You know, and and said, so, yeah, you you know, you come to Oakland, you know, look me up, and you know, yeah, I'll get you playing, you know. And so that's that's that that was that that was the catalyst. That's what uh, you know. That's why I moved to Oakland. That's what you know, as opposed to you know Chicago or some other things.
1: Okay, so you move there, and you you want to basically achieve your goal of playing blues. Preferably in black clubs, and this well, doesn't take long for it to actually happen. Well, it was yeah. I mean, I, I you know,
0: I, I was very very lucky. You know, uh, I mean, I guess yeah. I guess luck luck, luck my the timing of my visit. I mean, yeah, it happened very fast. I mean, I I, uh, I got a gig immediately. I was hired immediately, basically within two weeks of arriving there. I got hired by Troy Key, who was the owner of uh, Eli's Mile High Club, which was a, you know, kind of an iconic blues club in Oakland. And it just so happened that he wa- he was looking for another guitar player to play in his band. I, I got like the most desirable gig that, you could, that there was in the Bay Area, playing in Troy Key's band Fridays and Saturdays at Eli's Mile High Club, backing up, you know, Lowell Folson, Percy Mayfield, you know, Pee Wee Creighton, you know, uh, Jimmy McCracklin, Charlie Musselwhite. I mean, it happened so fast, you know. uh,
1: And so, okay, how, how easy was that transition and how did you fit
0: in and what did you learn from that experience? (sighs) Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, I mean, it's funny uh, on one hand, it was happening so fast that my head was spinning. You know, when I when I think back now, forty years later, I wish that I had been. I wish that I had been able to absorb more from the experience because it was going so fast. I I could, you know, I didn't know what was was happening. I mean, literally, I I'm in the states for like less than a month, and I'm work. I'm backing up these people. It's just, it was too much. I mean, I I, I didn't know what was going on. It was going so fast, you know. But at the same time, because I had been in that space already for so long, I mean, when I was still in France, I was in my head. I was already there. I was seeing it happen, you know.
1: Was (laughs) there anything about that, that whatever you imagined, because it's always difficult and always dangerous to have expectations, right? So here's a kid in Paris thinking about having a dream of playing in black clubs, playing the blues, And there you are doing it. Did that, the reality of doing it, was that any different from what you had imagined it could be?
0: It was only better than what I had imagined. I mean, it was, I mean, it was. It was, yeah. I mean, it was literally, literally having an experience of my wildest dreams materializing, becoming a reality except that it was beyond my wildest dreams because I had no idea that I would be playing with Percy Mayfield and Pee Wee Creighton and Lowell Folson and all these guys, Smokey Wilson. And, and it was like, you know, bang, bang, bang. One week we're backing up Percy Mayfield. Then the following week we're backing up Pee Wee Creighton and Jimmy McCracken and Lowell Folson. You know, it was like, wow, you know, but it was, it was, you know, oh, you
1: know. <laughs> and and you didn't have any issue fitting in or being part of that
0: scene and not being out of place. You no, know, I mean I've always felt out of place everywhere. So feeling out of place was not really an issue because I always felt out of place, even in my own hometown when I was a kid. I never felt like it belonged. So as long you know, if, if I'm going to feel out of place, I might as well really be out of place you know that's the way I look (laughs) at it you know but no I mean those those guys embraced me they took me in I mean they probably thought I was an extraterrestrial you know because you know I was doing this I was playing the way that I played they were I mean I remember Lowell and Jimmy McCracklin and guys like that they were pretty blown away that this kid from France knew their music probably better I'm not, you know, I mean this probably sounds pretentious but I knew their music better than most guys that they were used to playing with who were born and raised there I had kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of the the material the discography, where they were born (laughs) that kind of blew their mind you know, they were like "This this is weird, you know so they I mean they 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 thought I was, you know, they didn't know what to think of me, but they 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 took me in, you know, they didn't uh, they made me they made me feel like I was you know, part of the family, you know. Uh,
1: At this point, do you know your style? Do do you know that your guitar playing is who you are or are you still learning and copying people and trying to be who you you should be?
0: Well, that's a very, very good question. And it's a little bit of both. And it also depends on my frame of mind because I still feel very much like a, you know, like a student, like a, well, a student, you know, I mean, I'm 62, but I still feel very much like not a wannabe because I know I'm more than a wannabe, obviously, but I still feel like I'm yearning to be like those guys, even at my age. But at the same time, you know, on the other hand, you know, I've been doing this for, four, for almost a half a century now. And I know that I have a voice of my own. I know that I have something of my own to bring to the table. So it's a little, it's a mixed bag. It's a little bit of both, you know. I still, I, still, I still feel like I'm still emulating my heroes. And I think I always will, even if I live to be 90, I still will be emulating Lowell Folsom and Sonny Roads, you know. But at the same time, those guys are gone. And I know that I'm probably the last generation of people got to play with them. And, you know, I'm kind of keeper of the flame, you know. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Uh,
1: There's tangible things that you're still reaching to to get as a player uh when, when you're saying you still i mean i i know you'll always be learning and as i guess as a musician you'll never feel like you've mastered it and got you figured yeah, it out exactly but i mean are there things that you at the age of 62
0: think i still need to do this i i guess uh yes but um y- yes but those things are not they're on a more of a spiritual level it's more about my relationship my position to the you know uh, to the music my you know my how do i relate how do i position myself you know uh in relationship to to this art form you know it's not learning more stuff i'm not trying i'm actually i'm trying to unlearn stuff i'm trying to uh make my playing you know, I'm trying to get rid of, of unnecessary things that I do just because, you know, they're bad habits. You know, I'm trying to unlearn stuff. I'm trying to simplify and simplify and simplify. And I'm trying to find my voice. I'm trying to uh, get to the place where I feel like I have, you know, my own voice, my own take on this music. I'm not trying to accumulate more knowledge anymore. You know? At what point do you realize that? That, that's another good question. That's a very good question. Um.
1: <laughs> mm. Like, is that something... I, mean, I presume it comes with age. Is yeah. that something that you thought about in the last 10 years? Or, or is that something that,
0: that's been with you for a lot longer? No, I would say probably... Well, definitely the past 10 years. Definitely, maybe a little bit more, you know... Uh, yeah so when i talk about when I talk to people
1: about your guitar playing they they just talk about like low down dirty guitar playing, yeah that's kind of when I, you know it it also seems like you're kind of associated with the west coast blues sound more than anything else. Yeah. How important was Chicago blues or even Mississippi Delta blues or were they not important at all?
0: Well, they were extremely important, but see I don't really. I don't really make that distinction. I mean, I I suppose I did at one point, but not anymore. To me, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's all, it's blues. It's blues. It's, I don't really make that distinction. I know that people have told me that when I'm, when they listen to me play, they, they hear, they hear it all. I mean, you know, yeah, they hear influences from Chicago guys, Mississippi. I I don't, I don't make the distinction really, because I love it all. I love it all, you know. I've learned from all those artists from different areas, different time periods, from you know. Uh, so I don't make that distinction really. I don't go like, oh, I'm playing Chicago blues. I can't do this because that's not Chicago blues. No, you know, I don't think like that. I just mix it all up, you know. But was it was it
1: ever important for you to go to Chicago and spend time and and. In- Work with Chicago
0: musicians? I never did. Or... I never did. Okay. I, I, I I passed through Chicago. I never spent any time there.
1: But I presume a lot of Chicago musicians came to
0: the West Coast. And you played. Uh, Not that many. A handful. Uh, I played with Sonny Lanslim. I played with A.C. Reed when, when he came to the West Coast. I played with a handful of Chicago guys, but not that many. Dawkins, Jimmy Dawkins. I'm probably forgetting a couple, but James Cotton, you know, uh, not that many. So you, you
1: quickly get a gig in Oakland and you get to play with a lot of your heroes. Mm. At this point, do you have goals? Where where do you go next?
0: (sighs) Where do I go next? I just want to be able to, uh, I just want to be able to survive doing what I know how to do, you know. Um, but,
1: but I meant, you know, when you started playing in Oakland at Eli's Mile High Club, mm-hmm. um, at a young age, you, you achieve a goal very quickly to play playing yeah. with some of your heroes and getting a regular gig playing the blues. Yeah. At that point, are you looking around saying, what do I want to do next? That's, yeah. Or is it just survival?
0: Yeah, survival is, is pretty much it. But, you know, what it entails, it entails, you know, maybe, you know, hopefully uh, establishing my... Establishing my I, I view my future primarily... I mean, I will. I think that I will always go back to the States and hopefully continue to play in the States because it just means so much to me. But... My future as a musician, I think from now on is going to be primarily in Europe. I mean traveling, hopefully visiting other parts of the world, but as far as you know more so in Europe certainly than in the United States. I've pretty much uh, not that I've given up necessarily, but I think that I've whatever I was meant to do in the States as a musician, I think it's behind me. Now, I think it's the time for me to, I don't want to, you know, I'm using that word carefully because that's not really the right word, capitalize. But, yeah, just take what, all, what I've learned, you know, and I would like to be, you know, accepted as a blues artist and be able, yeah, be able to survive on, you know, on doing what I know how to do.
1: Tell me about the difference between playing in Europe and playing in, in in the States. Because I, in some ways, I would imagine that playing in Europe, in some ways, people are more respectful well, to yes, musicians. I,
0: yes, people, people are more respectful of this music. Uh, they're more respectful of musicians, and there's simply more opportunities over here now. I mean, I don't know about the rest of, of the country you know, obviously I've, I've spent most of my life, all of my life in California, but it's, it's over. There are no gigs on the West coast to speak of. Oh, I thought you were doing a bunch of gigs when you were back there last month. I, I, you know, well, a bunch, you know, uh, I did a few things, you know, concentrated over a period of four weeks. So I was busy for four weeks, but that doesn't mean that there's a lot to do. I mean, you know, because I'm not living there anymore, so when I go back there, whatever few gigs there are, I play them, and it's, it feels like I'm doing a lot. But I mean, it's really there really isn't that much to do anymore. I mean, uh, in, whether in the Bay Area, there's hardly anything left, and there's nothing left in Los Angeles. I mean, it's the, it's the desert. So it's as far as you know, playing music and clubs. I mean, it's. Uh, so there's a lot more to do over here, you know, in France and Germany and Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, you know, all over Europe. There's just a lot more to do. And because of my history, I have, I hopefully I can build on that. I have a bit of, a, I have a bit of name recognition and I have a bit of status because... You know, because what I've been doing for the past forty years—that people have a lot of respect, a lot of—you know—it it means a lot to you know, for, for t- to them. You know, I mean, what I've done, the people that I've worked with, and just simple fact that as a European, I've gone over there and and, and done this thing—that has that impresses people. You know, that that has some weight, and I can I can. Again, I'm using this word, you know, almost you know, kind of with a grain of salt, but I capitalized on that a lot more, more so over here than I could in the states, you know.
1: What What do you think gives you that credibility most? I, you know, it was it your time with the Manish Boys? Is it, is it the fact that you did play in black clubs in Oakland? Like, what would you, or is it all of it?
0: Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, well, uh, naturally it's all of it. I mean, the Managed Boys was just, you know, something that I'd done, you know, at the tail end of my time in, 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 in California, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all of that, you know, and just the fact the the simple fact that I had the, the gumption to do what, I mean, there isn't a blues music, musician in Europe that hasn't dreamt. Of doing what I've done, but didn't do it for whatever reason, you know. So people, people look at that and go, like, God damn! I mean, that took a lot of guts, you know. Didn't take guts; just took <laughs> it was just, you know. I don't know what it was, but but anyway, that 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 has a lot of weight for a lot of people. People are, you know, and the people that I've worked with, and just the fact that I that I that I did what I did, that I made that choice. You know and that I, and I, that I actually followed through and did it. I mean that you know it was it's not you know I mean it's twenty one years old to, to go over there and just, to, just to do this this crazy thing. You know that that impresses people. You know, and that I did it, and that I did it with a measure with a certain measure of success. I mean, I you know I you know I recorded. I worked with a lot of people. I. I did build a little bit of a thing. You know what I mean? I mean...
1: Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the recordings. I mean, at what point did that become a goal for that young kid to say, I want to be recording my albums. I want to record albums.
0: Well, from the time... You know, I've always... I wanted to emulate the people that I admired. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to do what they did. And that meant, you know, making records. You know, those guys were recording artists you know and i won't you know that's that was part of the thing i mean i wanted to uh, i've always you know i mean to this day you know to this to this day what i like to do best is be, to be an accompanist i really love to accompany people but the, the, but the reality is that the kind of people that i would love to accompany they're all dead you know, I mean, there aren't that many people left, you know, still doing it that uh, inspire me. And, you know, I can't think of anybody thinking like, "Oh, I would love to play with that guy." But they're all dead. All the people that I wanted to play with are dead. Why? Why do
1: you think that is? Not not you know, why, <laughs> why they're dead, but why do you think um, that the people that you want to play with? Are no longer here are there, that there is no younger players of that level is that what you
0: mean is that well yeah because the, the, th- the thing that I fell in love with and the, you know and that has inspired me for my entire life was a very specific thing it was really a product of a culture you know uh, which is extinct you know I mean mm-hmm. That the generation of people of artists that really moved me deeply—they're gone. The, the the younger guys that are playing now—they they don't have that thing that I that moves me. That thing is a lost thing. It, it you know. Can you can you describe
1: that thing? Uh, what not, that is? That's
0: very no. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I really don't think I can.
1: Um, but it comes of a of a time and age and. Uh, circumstances as I mean, much as you know, anything even, else.
0: You know uh, i don't want to even i have to be very careful about what i'm going to say because i don't want it to be misinterpreted it could be very easy to misinterpret but i'm going to say it anyway you know when you take the young black artists that are you know there's resurgence now of younger black you know for the longest time young black people did not want to have anything to do with blues, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. And in the nineties, there came this new generation of black artists who kind of claimed blues as their heritage, rightly so. But when you look at the younger black guy, young, younger generation, black artists who are playing this music now. And this is where I have to be extremely careful with the words that I use. uh, There's something that's been lost, you know, I mean, obviously they're part of the lineage, but uh, this is really, this is difficult and it's very sensitive. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, um,
0: I I get it. You know, I listen to, I don't want to name anyone. Some of the younger guys that are, you know, African-Americans or uh, Working the blue circuit. When I listen to them, I'm, it, it doesn't—it doesn't sound to me. I mean, it sounds like the thing that I love is not in—is not there. The thing that grabbed me, that that moved me, when I was younger, when I got when I fell in love with this music, I'm not hearing it in those artists. Something got lost along the way. Do you, do you
1: think you have that thing oh. like? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this is the thing that you you wanted to emulate. This is the thing you just kept listening to. These are the have, people you played with. I
0: think that I have it to the extent that somebody like me can have it. Obviously, I was not born to that culture. I immersed myself in it as much as I could Uh, I, because... Obviously, you know, I I, have, I was very much aware of the fact that I was not of that culture. So I had to do everything that I could to grab, to, to, to you know, to get as much of that thing and make it mine. So do I have that thing? I mean, I, th- I think that I have it as much as, again, somebody like me with my background can have it. Um, and it but it's not really for me to judge, you know whether I have it or not, um, you know, that's know.
1: Yeah, okay, so do you, do you think now that you're back in Europe and you're starting to gig a lot more in, in European countries, do you think the people who are coming to see you are looking for that or what are they looking for?
0: I think that, uh, you know, I keep asking myself that. I mean, I, I'm over here in Europe and basically every place I go to, whether it's in Germany or France. I hear people who I think are 100 times better than I am at playing their instrument. However, I think that people are hearing something when they hear me that they're not hearing when they listen to other European guys who have not had the experiences that I've had right uh, i don't know does that does that make sense oh, it so makes I'm, total sense so there. i'm thinking that i there must be something that that i'm bringing to the table that most european guys don't have so maybe i didn't waste <laughs> the past you know 40 years of my life maybe i have something to offer that i have uh that has rubbed off on me, you know, from playing with those guys, you know, in the ghetto joints. Because that cannot be faked. That cannot be faked. I mean, I hear guys in Germany or just about any other place in Europe. I mean, they're everywhere, you know, guys that have studied the music from, primarily from records. And, and they're excellent. I mean, they play excellently. Like I said, I often feel like they're playing much better than me, but... But there's something that's lacking. There's something that's lacking. They have learned it in a very academic kind of way. And there's an element that's kind of not really tangible. That's really hard to describe. That's hard to explain. That's lacking. I wonder if you could,
1: I mean, that could have been you if you never went to the States. Absolutely. And that could have been, I mean, you had that passion to learn. And obviously you got to a certain point before you got to the States by listening and reading and learning the blues that allowed you to be there and to um, to fit in very quickly. Yeah, but I wonder what that thing is that that you got from playing in the States, playing with all these greats. It's it's,
0: you know, it's. It's 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 a life experience that I could not have had if I'd stayed in Europe, you know, Living in, living in East Oakland, you know, for all those years, you know, living with these guys, not just playing music with them, but living literally in the same town, in the same neighborhoods, you know, being neighbor with Jimmy McCracklin and, you know, whoever, all those other guys, you know, just eating in the same restaurants, you know, eating in their houses, you know, just, just living next to them you know, not just copying their music, but just having a life experience. I,
1: I wonder, as that young kid who dreamt of becoming a blues musician and then seeing the realities of the blues and to hang out with these blues legends, mm-hmm. what's, what's the greatest thing you learned from that experience of hanging out with Jimmy or Sonny Rhodes or whoever? Oh, wow, wow, I mean, Wow, I, I wonder. In some
0: ways, these were rock stars to you, right? These were. Well, they were more than rock stars to me because they were something that rock stars are not. They were. I mean, rock stars are like almost unattainable, unreachable. They're almost not human. These guys yeah. were very human. They were just like so human, so real, you know. And 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 also they were very obscure to most people. I mean, a a guy like Lowell Folson or Percy Mayfield, there was a time in history when they were stars to their people. But by the time I got to play with them and got to know them, they were past that time. You know, they were, I mean, it's just a reality, you know. And uh, so these guys were...
1: But seeing that reality... Because it was like you grew up thinking this is what I want to do, and that thing of what you wanted to do wasn't necessary make lots of money. No, no right? Not so when at you all. got to see that reality, what did that did that change your view of things at all?
0: I think that I had an awareness of that already. I mean, you know, I already i i, I knew. I mean, I, I i knew that i i knew that i knew that these guys were some of them were lived in poverty that I knew that those guys didn't have any money that they were just, you know, I, you know, I mean, it became, you know, once I had that experience myself, when I, you know, uh, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but it was not really a surprise. It's just that it was like, you know, it's this difference between having an awareness about something and just having it right in, in your face, experiencing it for yourself. I mean, I remember that was a time in the early 90s when I find myself completely down and out and I actually applied for welfare. And I remember standing in the welfare line, you know, one January morning, downtown Oakland at seven in the morning, being in line to apply for welfare. Me, that's <laughs> <laughs> French boy <laughs> like, and I'm <laughs> standing in that line with all those people were like the poorest of poorest you know black people you know Mexicans and white people that were completely down and out talking to themselves you know just and I'm standing in that line and I'm thinking wow and I'm telling myself so you wanted you wanted to come here and live the blues well congratulations because this is a complete success you have succeeded beyond your expectations you are standing in the fucking welfare line with the all the you know the most you know down and out people in american society and here you are you are one of them you're with them congratulations. I hope you're proud of yourself. This is what's going through my head as I'm standing in this line. Does the this
1: happen because there are no gigs? Is it is it like what caused that to happen in oh, the just, 90s? What, hap-
0: what caused it to happen was just a, you know, a series of circumstances and just very poor planning on my part and just st- stupid decisions. Uh, How did you get out of it? Um, you know, I, how did I get out of it? I, uh, you know, friends who helped me, you know, staying with people for free for a while and, you know, getting back, you know, getting, finding work again and, um, uh, getting my mental health together, you know, cause you know, I suffered from depression and that can be, that's very problematic, um. It was a time when I, it was a time when I I just completely lost uh, faith in myself and I just want, I just wanted to stop playing and, you know, and I had no other way, no source of income and, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and I lost, you know, I lost my apartment and I, you know, I was yeah, I mean, just, just bad, very, very bad self-management, you know. um,
1: Do you remember how you got the passion back?
0: Uh, how did I get the passion back? I, it's not so much that I lost the passion; it's just that I just lost faith and that I could really get anywhere with it, and I guess I, I I just I just realized that there really wasn't anything else that I wanted to do or that I could do. I realized that I was at a point of no return, and you know, in. This is what I've chosen. I'm stuck with it. You know, there's no turning back. This is it.
1: But (laughs) was there a moment after that that you were on stage or in a recording studio or just sitting with your guitar that you thought, I'm good with the fact that this is what
0: I do? It comes and goes. I have, you know, it comes and goes. Uh, There are times when I feel okay about what I do. I feel okay with my choice, with my choices. And the other time I'm thinking, like, but what am I doing? <laughs> what am but when, you, when doing? you think about
1: that 16-year-old kid who was listening to the Hound Dog Taylor album and to see the people you played with, the experiences you've had, the places you've played. Yeah. I, and maybe that's just, you know, uh, uh, sugarcoating it. But it's a pretty impressive history that you've had and and i you know granted mental health is a different story and it's yeah. a difficult thing to deal with but yeah. you're still playing after 50 years you know and you can go play festivals
0: and yeah and you know and yes and i have come to accept the simple fact that even when i uh, when i'm feeling down which is unfortunately you know, it's part of my life, probably always will be, but I have come to accept that the only thing that really lifts me up and that makes me feel better is playing music, especially in front of an appreciative audience. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but when I'm feeling down, I, you know, I try to remind myself, say, "This you need to play more. That's what it is. You just need to play more. This playing makes you feel better. That's what you need to do.
1: How much does writing come into that? Is it just about playing, or do you write? Do you want to write more?
0: Well, that's that's also important to me. I mean, of course, uh, but you know, I'm not a prolific writer. Um, I need to have a project. I need to be working on a project for me to write to, to write material. And, and I do. I do. If, you know, if somebody has a project for me to, somebody, you know, to, if I have a record to a recording to make, then I will write material because I, I, I don't want to record uh, cover material anymore. I mean, I, you know, I, when I play live, mo- I mostly play, Ah, well, that's not really even true. I was going to say I mostly play other people's songs, but I really make a point of playing my own material even when I play live. But certainly when I record, I absolutely want to record my own material because I really think that that's to use an Americanism. That's what separates the boys from the men. I mean, you know, know, the artists that I admire, again, emulation are people who wrote their own material. That's, you know, songwriting uh, is where it's at, really. And also financially, of course, because, you know, if you get lucky and you write a song that is being played, then you're going to get, you know, reap the the, the benefits. But uh, so, yes, I do write, but I I don't write unless I have to. So if, if I have a recording project coming up, then I will write because I need to because I don't want to record other people's songs anymore.
1: At this stage, do you have goals?
0: Well, again, you know, yeah, my 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 goal is my goal is just to be able to survive doing what I know how to do, and I know it may it, it may sound like a, I don't know what it sounds like really to hear for you to hear me say that, but it is my goal. That is my goal.
1: I wonder how much of that is the pandemic and how
0: much of it is just the realities of. No, no, no. That has nothing to do with the pandemic. Because it's always, you know, surviving doing what I know how to do has always been a struggle for me because I'm not a business minded person. I've been obsessed for all these years, for decades now. I have been obsessed with playing music, with this music, uh, to, you know, the detriment of the reality of making a living you know earning money has always been secondary to you know for me it's like the music comes first earning a living uh you know it'll happen you know somehow but it's never really be, been a priority for me somehow i've made it this far i'm not really sure how uh because earning a living is sort of was almost kind of like hmm, that's like a foreign concept <laughs> you know You know, playing you playing music with intent and soul. That's my priority. Making money is like, I don't really know how to do that. I don't really want to deal with that. So yeah, I so that's why I say my goal is to survive doing what I know how to do. It's because literally I have I've never been very good at that. I've never been I never have been very good at that, you know. Uh so yes, it's it's got it's almost like a dream almost more than a goal. It's like, wow, can I get my shit together once and for all and and you know, market what I know how to do, you know. But I would presume going
1: back to Europe helps in that cause.
0: Well, yeah, because I, I, I believe that you know going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think that there's better prospects for me over here than in the States. I don't, you know, and there are, I mean, there are, but still nothing's going to fall on my lap, you know, without me, you know, working for it,
1: you know? Right. And the last time we spoke, I think you talked about doing an acoustic album.
0: Uh, well, I, I don't remember what it was that I was referring to exactly. Um, Acoustic, I I think that maybe what I was talking about was making a solo album, not necessarily acoustic, maybe punk acoustic. But yes, I would like to do that. I would like to do that because, well, here's a goal. I would like to, I would very much like to be able to uh, work as a solo act. I would very much like to do that, you know, not have to... uh, you know, because because most of what I've done so far is, is band work. The recordings that I've made were, you know, electric blues, you know, you know, with bands, rhythm sections, you know. And I would very much like to uh, uh, be able to market myself, you know, again, not the best choice of word, but to establish myself and be able to work to be booked as a solo artist. Is
1: that, is that something that that you consciously work on? Like, I mean, when you're at home, it, you pick up the guitar. Yeah, constantly.
0: Yeah. So, because yeah.
1: I know you're used to the band format, would that be a completely different thing for you to be doing? Well, like not, would it feel awkward?
0: Oh, it's, it's it wouldn't be awkward. It's frightening because I haven't done it much. I've done very little of it. So it's, it's scary what, to be in front of an audience by yourself, you know, without a band to, you know, when you're playing with a band, you can not necessarily hide, but you, they got your back. You know, It's right. you're not naked, just you and your guitar in front of an audience. But when you're by yourself in front of an audience, you really got to deliver. You know, there's nobody else, you know, it's, it's just you. You know, and that's, that's very intimidating, but it's also very gratifying. I mean, the little that I've done it, I just love to be able to go into a gig without anybody's help. Just me and a guitar. You know, it, I feel good about it. You know, it's like, wow, I can do this by myself. I don't need anybody. It's it's very rewarding, you know. And it's also financially rewarding, of course. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, hopefully, I think you could get better pay. I mean, you could, you know, you could work more, work more often, get better pay you know because it's just you but all of that is speculation on my part because you know i haven't really uh put that plan to uh, to work really yet but uh that's that that's a goal of mine i would like to do i'd like to be able to accomplish that you know for a variety of reasons because and also because i'm i think that uh i know that i can do it I can do it, I can pull it off. Um, I know that there's opportun- opportunities for that out there. There's a lot of places that where you can work, that places that wouldn't necessarily be able to afford a full band, but they can afford a guy, just one guy. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm guessing that there's more opportunities for that, that there are for a band for a full band and I also like the fact I I like not having to deal with anybody I don't need to call anybody I don't need to get a band together I can just go and do a gig by myself that's very gratifying has it always been
1: blues like did you ever stray away from blues and look at anything else well I listen to a lot of stuff
0: I don't like basically I basically don't listen to very much blues at all anymore well I go through phases You know, I'll go through phases where I don't listen to any blues for months. And then I go back to it. I need to hear it. But I found out that whenever I want to hear blues, I just want to play. You know, if I want to hear blues, I just play my guitar. I don't need to hear anybody else play it. I can play it myself. (laughs) You know, I know it probably, it sounds kind of funny, but that's, that's, it's true. If I if I want to hear blues and I put on a record, like I'll just take it off. I'll start playing. I might as well play myself. I don't need to listen to some other guy do it. You know, when I, when I listen to music, oftentimes it's not blues. It's it can be. I love country music. I I love jazz. I love I never really de- developed a taste for classical music that much, but uh, um,
1: but if you, know, you do the solo work for solo album. Is there a chance that we would have
0: something a little more than blues? And not to minimize blues, but No, probably not, because I think that's one thing that I've come to terms with. I mean, I you know, there was a I've gone like I said, I've gone through different phases and I've been like, what am I doing? I can't just play blues. You know. But I think I've come to terms with that. You know, that's what I play, that's my musical language, that's what I do best. And that's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna make any pretense, you know, <laughs> that I can do something else because I can't. Because I don't. You know?
1: Well, thank God for that. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I know it's different from my point of view, but you've been doing this all your life and, you know, you, you basically followed a dream that a young kid had. Which which, you know, when you think about it, some kid in Paris wanting to be a blues guy just from listening to Hound Dog Taylor Records and winding up playing with the people that you've played with and, and having a career that's lasted this long. It's it's a pretty interesting journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't have any regrets, you know. I, I mean, my, my only regret is really, it's not even, it's not a really a regret, but it's, I wish that I had been a little bit more down to earth instead of being such a dreamer, you know. I wish I had uh, been a little bit more realistic, you know, Maybe i uh, Anyway.
1: But if you didn't dream, I, I don't know if you would have gotten to where you have. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. But
0: um, what I was going to say was that, yeah, I've come to terms with the fact that I, I'm i a blues player. I'm a blues artist. For lack like, I don't know what else. I remember somebody I, somebody out, I, Charlie Musselwhite, was being interviewed by a guy one one time. And the guy asked him, he said, so do you consider yourself a blues man? And Charlie would like, Well, if not, I don't know what else, you know? And that's kind of, that would be my answer now is like, well, if not, I don't know what else, you know, because, (laughs) uh, you know, yeah, I've come to terms with the fact that that's what I do. That's who I am. And that's all I know. And, and that's just what I do best. And uh, when I play and sing, now I try to play, in a way that is just, I play. Try to play as simply as possible. I just try to play. I try not to be clever. To me, there's nothing worse than to hear somebody play blues, and somebody's trying to be clever. You know, sort of like rude, playing like some, playing some jazz licks, and I'm doing this, and I'm playing some some modes. You know, I remember. I remember Albert King said saying one time, "It's like if you are going to play the blues, just play." You know, and I'm getting it now. I didn't get it back then. You know, if you're gonna play the blues, just play the blues. Just don't try to be smart about it. Don't try to. But that's me. You know, if you're gonna play the blues, just play the blues. If you don't play, you wanna play mixolydian modes and shit. Just play, do something else. If you're gonna play blues, just keep it the blues. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I agree. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, My pleasure. I I look forward to hopefully hearing that solo album because I think it's a great idea.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I think it will be, it will become a, I need to do it. I just, I need to do it. I need to do it.
1: For sure. Thank you so much for this.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much.